coming up this week on the Course of Life podcast at the Flair Open in San Antonio, Texas. We had a familiar Canadian face getting it done for the second time there. And of course, it is Masters Week. Cue the piano riff. We're getting you hyped up for all things Augusta, plus a good finish on the LPGA Tour in Los Angeles. We're tuned into uh, some concerts that are getting streamed online by a certain artist and Tetris. And this week's guest is our friend and resident artist on the show, Linda Hartog, talking all things Augusta National, how she paints Augusta, her history with the course and the beauty of it all. And it's all things Easter and Master's food when we always end with food, Passover coming your way as well. All of it brought to you by our new partner, Mike. We've got a new partner that we're going to be very excited to roll out in the coming weeks and months. It's our friends at Swing Juice. They make really great apparel. Check out swingjuice.com and learn all about the extensive list of uh, wardrobes they have for different golfers. Everything from your casual polos to your nicest pants, uh, golf and tacos, golf and pizza, golf and hip hop, all sorts of golf vibes from our friends at Swing Juice. Uh, So be sure to check out our content in the coming weeks and months and check out swingjuice.com as well. Uh, Looking forward to having them as a partner for the show. Um, And uh, again, check out swingjuice.com. Interwebs and welcome to Course of Life. We are proud to be presented by our friends at Desert Fox Golf and Swing Juice, as well our newest friends. I'm Michael. He's Alex. And Alex, it's a tradition unlike any other. We'll get to it in a little bit and mm. exactly what that tradition nice is. Tease. But first, it's the Valero Texas Open. It's that tradition of an event before the Masters that people go play, and if you win, you get the uh, you get to go but you don't get to win the Masters because you can't win the Valero and then go win the Masters. Yeah, you're very obsessed with that jinx factor where whoever wins the week before just simply can't do it. Phil was the last one to complete the feat, I think about 15 or 20 years ago. But it is a pretty well-known story that whoever's winning the week before the Masters usually has a tough time donning green or even playing well for that uh, matter. But honestly, Mike, I don't think Corey Connors matters, uh, cares that much because he just loves this track and this course so much. Yeah, $1.6 million at a 15 under par score to take it for the second time in a row now, right, at the Valero Texas Holman in San Antonio. Uh, Second time, yes. He won in 2019. And you'll remember, the reason why you'll remember this one in 2019 is because his wife was famously getting panned to from the NBC cameras as he was trying to win down the stretch. And she was quite drunk off the wine. And and she became kind of a viral sensation for the week following uh, for Corey's first win there in 2019 uh she's uh was completely sober the second time around holding their baby girl so it's funny how life comes at you fast in four years uh but nonetheless same course same champion Corey connor's a winner two times over there in san antonio that's right just i just want to shout out a couple of their names from the list uh in the top five was matt kuchar yep very reliable people yeah you know, the he's atm just, he's Getting hot at the right time. Let's just go ahead and say that right now. Oh boy. Uh, also, R- Ricky Fowler, he put up a 66 on Sunday to climb into a tie for 10th with Patrick Harrington from the Champions Tour. How about who's that? decided to little warm up before Augusta as yeah, well. Yeah, because remember, Patty Harrington went uh, Bryson on us in the last year or two. He got yeah, he all did. jacked up and he's lengthened and, and, and sped up his swing and he's hitting bombs out there on the senior circuit. So he, he, he gives it a go every once in a while on the regular tour and lo and behold, he can still contend at certain spots and he proved it. That was cool to see. Um, so yeah, watch out for Patty in the coming weeks and months as well. The uh, LPGA was in Los Angeles and we had the second ever Chinese winner in LPGA tour history where Ryoning Yin took the Good W job the on the DO pronunciation. Implant. There. Thank you. The DO implant LA open. And I think I said this last year, that is the oddest sponsor ever for it for any kind of event 
And it it's is. just kind of hilarious that it's an LPGA tour event, maybe, but you know. <laughs> hey, you gotta get the sponsors how you can, right? And that's all yeah, good exactly. for our friends at the LPGA tour, putting on a really good event in Los Angeles there. And yeah, it was a cool finish to see a debut winner. Georgia Hall came really close. She was in contention for most of the week. Uh a really solid week. Saw a little coverage on primetime and, and nighttime golf on the golf channel. Uh, so always fun to see a new debut winner. And and that's a big deal for a country uh like China that has obviously a massive population and growing golf population as well too uh so i'm sure that win is going to be celebrated five or tenfold the way it is here in the states it, it really is it's kind of incredible how much they celebrate everything over there so good for her let's also talk about the anwa that's the augusta national women's amateur mm, yes the first look because, at augusta you know it's yes. that first little look at the course just to see how things are shaping up you know yeah. Uh, but all eyes were on Rose Zhang, who just won. And there's really almost no other way to say it. She she just won. She yeah. she had a big lead. She kind of blew it, but she won in the playoff over Jenny Bay. Uh, and just everyone is like, oh, my God, Rose Zhang, she should have a ticket to the Masters. She should be allowed to play this weekend. Right. For real. Uh, she, I mean, she's got her ticket to turning pro any day now or any week now. It's going to happen at a moment's notice. Uh, we'll be talking about her in future LPGA Tour discussions for sure. Uh, she's mm-hmm. been an unbelievably dominant amateur in the women's game in recent months and years and does it again. Like you said, kind of faltered a little bit down the stretch, but still got it done in the playoff when it mattered. Um, the overwhelming, resounding favorite heading in to win the AWA, and, and she got it done in style. So impressive stuff. And again, Rosang, you're going to get used to that, hearing that name for a long time to come in women's golf. You know, we were much more interested in the ANWA than that other golf event that happened to be going on this weekend. Which <laughs> there it was is, the live hate from Mike. Here it is. <laughs> live Orlando. Uh, Brooks Kepka won. He and did. also the live golfers are uh, media machine is pumping out that he's he's back in form. He's doing great. And yep. look at how many live golfers were under par in their final round at live Orlando. Uh, I. I don't care because they don't care. <laughs> yeah. Guess what, Mike? I'm, I'm taking a sip of the Kool-Aid right now. I don't, oh, I don't know what's gotten into me. I don't know. What, they put something in. I think they spiked my drink, the, 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 the live mm. tour or something. You know what I mean? Because I'm getting a little delusional. But I, I, I'm, am I buying into the hype? I don't know why I am. Why all of a sudden do I think that that a couple of good Brooks Kepka weeks in recent months on the live tour are going to translate to major championship success at a major he hasn't won He's contended at, but hasn't won. Um, I don't know. He's sitting there in the odds around 50 to 60 or to one, maybe someone to to throw in the conversation, but it's just that it's that classic, how ready are these guys going to be? You and I are going to debate that all week, and I flip-flop back and forth on exactly where I stand, but it's going to be fascinating to see not only him, but the rest of the 18 Live Tour golfers that are going to be descending on, on Augusta National this week. That's right. And a lot of players already descended on Augusta yesterday. That's Sunday. Uh, Tiger was there. Scotty was there. Yeah. Um, So let's let's talk about Augusta. Let's talk about what, at least in my opinion, is the best major of the year. I think we might be on the same page there. Well, yeah. Um, And here's the thing, Mike. In recent years, you and I have been around golf dramas before and we've seen storylines. Now, we've seen player storylines. We've seen peak Tiger versus Phil at major championships. I don't know if player wise we've ever felt that, but drama gossip tabloid story entertainment wise has there ever been a more anticipated major championship in recent years I, i'm doubting it i, I think you know yeah this is this is is can the live guys compete really it's a million so dollar question. we will get the true test here and see that they you know that well they already getting paid plenty of millions of dollars i don't think they care about how much the question is worth uh but we're here and now we get to see it it's pride on the line for those guys who who defected to the Live Tour. They're coming back to play against their PGA cohorts for for the first major championship stage since everything went down essentially, and and now here we are. We're looking at eighteen Live Tour golfers and the world's best in the PGA Tour all colliding. It's Augusta National. The course is looking beautiful already. Obviously, but when you talk favorites, uh, I'll I'll talk a few Live favorites. You can talk a few PGA Tour favorites. <laughs> You mentioned Brooks Kepka. He's out there on the radar. I think the real guys on the radar in terms of live tour golfers that could actually get it done and contend this week, um, which is pretty undeniable, are, are guys like Dustin Johnson, Cam Smith, 
maybe a Joaquin Neiman who's had good form in recent few months. The list isn't super deep, but I, I still, give, still, still give those top tier guys a chance to play well here. That's cute, Alex, because when you look at the best players in the world, it's Scotty Scheffler, Roy McIlroy, and John Rahm, and they are far and away the favorites to win the Masters this year. So I don't know how you can say a live guy has a chance, really. <laughs> fair play, fair play. <laughs> nice little reminder there of what the world rankings look like. Yeah, it's a, admittedly a long shot uh, that those guys could contend. Really, it's all like course familiarity and just hoping they can find some of that magic that they know from Masters in years past. But yeah, PJ Tour guys running deep right now. And I mean, just beyond that big three we're always talking about, Jordan Spieth itching for another green jacket, JT dying to win his first, Xander Shoffley gold medal winner dying to win a big one. So there, there's there's a lot of depth out there on the tour as well, too. And just an endless list of guys that love playing well here. So, boy, the the picks are going to be quite a quite a hard list to put together this week for, for betters out there. Yeah, over under a dollar on Tiger to to contend on Sunday. Yeah, I know. It's just like um, contend. So basically your dollar is like it's like two to one odds that he'll finish in the top 20. Mm. OK, so that that would be my definition of contending. You can put that bet right now. You can bet five dollars to win 10, basically, that he'll finish in the top 20. To do that, he's going to have to make the cut and play two solid rounds Thursday and Friday. And then from there, the real key, Mike, is how are holes 37 to 72 going to go for Tiger? Yeah. We saw last year at the Masters, he was able to get himself to the weekend, which was very, a very impressive feat with everything going on with his body and his life. Uh, but from there, everything just started shutting down on the weekend. Um, so 37 to 72 would be the holes that would really be in question for, for a top 20 week like that for Tiger. <laughs> Uh, I, just looking through the list too, every guys here. I just want to shout out some names at the bottom of the, of the barrel who who have some yes. chances here. Because I he, love you, you love dig, digging deep here. I mean, for the it's odds. always fun to look and see who's who. Who does Vegas say you should by no means put any money on whatsoever? Sandy mm. Sandy Lyle, hands down, not the favorite. No, he's not. What what what's, what are his odds going off at these uh, days? Let me let me pull up, let me pull the book up right now. Wow, I can't even find him in the initial drag through. Amazing! It's, it's wow. plus five hundred thousand. Oh my goodness gracious! <laughs> Larry Mize plus two hundred fifty. Uh, Mike Weir, <laughs> former champion as well, plus one fifty. Our favorite golfer of all time, VJ Singh, plus one hundred fifty thousand. Mm, hashtag deer antler spray, yeah, right? Exactly. Uh, Phils on this list too. Live golfer poster boy. Plus 20,000. Yeah, it's interesting. You can tell that at least the odd makers have plucked out that there are a few live guys that they feel like could contend, but there's not a lot of love given on the odds to a lot of them. Patrick Reed, 75 to 1. You know, Bryson, 125 to 1. Louis Ustazen's a guy that contends in majors a lot. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen a lot of great golf from him on the Live Tour. He's 150 to 1 to win the Masters. So these are kind of householdish names that you see contend a lot, but they're not being given a, a lot of love from the odds perspective. So you got to be careful there with with your with your flyer bets. As well. I, I also just feel like a good dollar bet maybe might be to put a buck down on Keegan Bradley. He's got long odds, but he's just been doing really well recently. He's just looking to put it all together for four rounds and win something. Of course, he can – he. He maybe had a chance last year at um, in Boston, but just couldn't yep. couldn't do it. So yeah, I, mm -hmm. you know, I just feel like Keegan Bradley. He's just like he's knocking at the door, trying to finish out his career strong. So yeah, my other random dollar would be a guy who's just kind of floating right now, but beat, but he's due to win another big one. He's already won here. Is I think Hideki might be a little under the radar. Mm. He's probably about 40 or 45 to one. And he, again, he hasn't been really lighting the world on fire, which is why you're not seeing him super high on the board. But you know how it is with these master champions coming back and winning a few years later. That that pattern seems to reflect itself a lot. He was right around the top 20 last week at the Valero. So uh, his games now yeah. doesn't seem to be there right now. It's the only thing I'd say. But again, we see guys, we see it from Tiger as well. These guys come into Augusta and they just play so much better all of a sudden. This course just fits them or they just find something deep inside and they're able to put together some good rounds. So it's it's really you just never know what what's going to happen. And and by the way, if you want to go out there and live that dream, just for, just for a few days at least, 85 to 1 odds on Tiger Woods to win this week at the Masters. Yeah, there you go. Uh, let's talk about your your uh, your run your pool article, right? And your prop bets yeah. because I got prop two. Bets so yeah, just make it more interesting. 
Exactly. So check out runyourpool.com. I've got the Masters betting preview where you can see my full list of picks for everyone I like this week. That will go on Twitter Wednesday night at Course of Life One as well, too. Uh, but the other article I wrote was surrounding prop bets, which everyone loves come Masters week. We'll just run through a few fun ones for you. Um, odds of a hole in one, Mike. Thoughts, you know, it's been happening in a lot in recent years. I think five of the last seven years, there's been an ace, and it's been at sixteen pretty much every time. Do you think we're going to get another ace this year in 2023? Oh, definitely. I, I think you're you're due for at least one every year at sixteen. It's going to come from someone who's not in contention, but it's going to come. Mm, okay. The other fun one I was looking at as well too was course record. It's sixty three by. Uh, Nick Price and a little a little man named Greg Norman. You may have heard mm. of him as well too. Are we gonna? Are there any sixty twos out there in the cards? I, I don't seem to think there are. There's a little bit of rain in the forecast for Augusta later this week, so the course could be a little softer, which is why I think the winning score might be a little lower than the odds makers might project. I'm not sure if I'm seeing a course record this week though. What do you think about a sixty two? Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't know. And and the main reason why I don't know is because of. Uh, 13. I mean, this is not, this is a layup hole now from what we're hearing. So mm, yeah, you saw that, right? This, that T box yeah. is pinned all the way, back, all there. way back there. You can't cut the corner anymore. So this is really turned into, uh, you know, that's not an Eagle hole. So I think that makes it so much harder to get, try to go for a 62. Yeah. Interesting. So check that out. I've got a bunch of different prop bets, top American, top European highlighted as well too at runyourpool.com. Excited for all things Masters Week. So be sure to check out the coverage there all week long. Let's switch over to Tuned In where we're sharing what we're tuning into outside of the world of sports. Uh, I watched the movie Tetris this weekend. Wow, Tetris. I mean, as as you say Tetris, I have visionary flashbacks Mm. of like a third or fourth grade me on my Game Boy just grinding out block after block on like a sunny afternoon on a summer day or something like that. Are you seeing blocks falling before your eyes right now as you try to move them around? They, st- I, they start moving faster and faster. I, I swear that's how I grew my fast twitch muscles, muscles as a kid, mm. was just watching those blocks in, in ascending speed. You know, they crescendo to an unbelievable speed, and uh, I could keep up for, for, a few, for a few moments, but I wouldn't call myself a great Tetris player. But uh, what, what Tetris content were you consuming? Well, I was watching the movie Tetris. It just came out on Apple TV. This is about uh, the how Tetris came to be a worldwide phenomenon and get licensed in the United States. That's, I mean, it sounds real sexy, right? This is the, how Tetris became licensed in the United States because it was created by a Russian. So they had to negotiate with the Russian with really, it wasn't Russia at the time. It was the Soviet union with the Soviet communist government to gain the rights. Now the story was, uh, highly, um, uh, fictionalized to make it more interesting, but it was actually Fair quite enough. good. Uh, I went into it thinking it would be not that great. Uh, and by the end of it, my wife and I were both quite engrossed in the film. It was quite good. Stars Taryn Egerton, Egerton, Egerton. Yes. Taryn Egerton, uh, yep. From Kingsman actually directed by the same guy who did uh, Kingsman. Uh, and it was it was quite good. It's on Apple TV. I would I would go ahead and say, watch it if you have Apple TV. Interesting. Yeah, the birth and creation of Tetris. Wow. And Russia. Wow. Go figure. Maybe we could use them for future negotiations with Russia, you know, smooth things over. You know, hopefully we can bring those same guys in. That'd be interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I was tuned into something funny, which really just fell right on my lap this past week. The phenomena, obviously, surrounding Taylor Swift. Oh, yeah. The the queen of pop music right now. She's on tour. You're a huge Swifty. You're just all in on Taylor Swift. I'm a pretty big Swifty, admittedly. I wouldn't call myself a super fan, but I like her music. Uh, I've had the fortunate uh, capability of seeing her live already about five, six years ago for a lot cheaper than concert tickets (laughs) are going right now. Um, So in lieu of paying an astronomical fee, you can also just hit the internet. And if you know the right places to look, there's just streams left and right of her concerts. So I've seen various clips of her in different cities and in Arlington, Texas this past weekend. A uh, lot of hype around T-Swift right now on tour. And I know I know you got some fans in your life as well too, right? Yeah, I mean, I've got uh, the, the wife's nieces uh, both went to the show in Arlington this weekend. In fact, they went to multiple 
of the shows wow. this weekend in Arlington. Big ballers. Yeah, and uh, they said it was awesome. It was three-hour-long show without an intermission of just Taylor Swift, and then there was the opening act on top of that. So Okay, I give her credit for that. Wow. Shout out to T-Swift for pouring out three hours. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Three hours, three nights in a row in Arlington. I mean, that's just crazy. Yeah, Jerry World. What a venue. Yeah. Really cool stuff. So yeah, T-Swift streams if you can't afford the tickets uh, to go see her live and in person this summer. All right, let's get into this week's guest. It's Masters Week, so that means we need to talk about art and beauty. So we're bringing on our resident golf artist, Linda Hartog. She's going to talk all things Augusta. All things Augusta. Yeah, I mean, she's got an over 40-year relationship with the course, uh, and so obviously on Masters Week, we get into her relationship with the course, how it first came to be. You, you'll be fascinated when you hear, and I love going through this with her every time, her first projects and where she first set foot on the terrain. We talk about the Augusta Green, how, how she creates those unmistakably beautiful colors and textures of the course that we love. It's, it's all things Augusta and an art-themed focus for Masters Week here. That's right. And we'll get to that conversation with Linda in just a moment. But first, let's talk about our good friends at Desert Fox Golf. They've been our good friends for, for a long time now, Alex. I feel like it's been... Over been four forever. years, they've been partners yeah. of this podcast, and we thank them for that always. We, so yeah. we do. And, you know, it's uh, it's a partnership also out of the fact that we we really do love their product. It's one of the first things they take out of my bag when I get to the course and get strapped onto that golf cart. It's the phone caddy. It holds your phone perfectly in place so you don't need to worry about where it is down there in the dark abyss underneath the wheel or if it falls out or if it's on the seat. And you leave it three holes behind and you don't know where it went. It's I've done that. Yeah. So many times. So many times. So many times. So so the the phone caddy from Desert Fox makes it so you don't need to do that. And you know, the Augusta and the Masters always makes me think about, hey, it's time to start playing again if you haven't been playing again already. For most of the rest of the country, the snow is finally thawing and going away, and it's time to go play. So you can go play and get yourself the phone caddy so you can have your phone right there to take pictures of you to post to Instagram to show yourself playing golf so that everyone else can see that you are enjoying life and they are uh, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's how you roll. But the phone caddy lets you do that. And you can save 10% off your phone caddy with the promo code course of life. Comes in a range of colors. It's got a patriotic line. They got cool stuff there. They've got more than just the phone caddy. They also have the uh the swing aid tumbler, which is a great accessory as well. It comes with uh, 10% more birdies. Uh, it makes you feel great as you're taking a sip out of that as well. So again, it's desertfoxgolf.com, also desertfoxproducts.com, promo code course of life to save 10%. Next up on the tee, we have our resident golf artist and award-winning friend of the show, Back to join us for a very special week on the golf calendar. It's Linda Hartog joining us. Linda, how are you today? I'm doing great, Alex. Thank you. It's great having you on again. And obviously, it's for a very special occasion because it's Masters Week. Uh, and there's few people maybe in the golf art world that know the course and the venue better than you. So we're going to go in-depth on, on one of the greatest landscapes, if not the greatest landscape in golf. I'm curious because you have a very deep history with the club uh, of what your first impressions were when, when you first arrived. And take us back to what that, that first trip to Augusta National was like for yourself. Okay, well, this is indeed a very exciting week. Everybody looks forward to this week, I think. But yeah, the first time I went there um, was in 1984. And I came there because uh, Bob Klecky and Dave Spencer, the pros at that time, were looking for an artist to do paintings and prints of the course. And so I went there, and of course, they wanted the 13th hole, which is, you know, an amazing hole, needless to say. <laughs> but the first impression was, you know, how, how the place literally glows with a kind of uh, unearthly green. And the elevation, which you never see on TV, you can't really get that feeling unless you're there. 
but just the elevation of the course, the different changes is pretty, pretty outstanding, pretty changed. Yeah, it's very unique to see the the drop off in the hill, and we'll get there. But first, that green you mentioned shows right through um, as soon as you see the front entrance to the club. Now, yeah. a, a lot of people don't have the privilege of going down Magnolia Lane. Did you actually go down Magnolia Lane in your first or any of your visits there? Uh, all of them, really, until much later. Uh, I, yeah, I was able to park, you know, even during the Masters right next to uh, the course. I was in the players' lot, so <laughs> I got very upfront and close in the early days. Um, so yeah, uh, Magnolia Lane was always the way I went in. Um, I'm curious; it's one of your best sellers on HeartTug.com. Uh, the the front lawn and the mm-hmm. clubhouse with the classic white um, tones. Um, tell everyone a little bit about the history regarding that building and, and what you love so much about that landscape, kind of the first thing people see when they pull down that, that iconic Magnolia Lane Drive. Yeah, it's a very traditional, almost, I believe it was an antebellum uh, plantation house. So it has a uh, very traditional um, design, architectural design, very distinctive. And it's the same from the front as from the back. So when you look at it from the back, it's pretty much exactly the same. And, of course, they've added all kinds of buildings onto the side of it. But, but the original part was, you know, a really uh, classic old southern house. What's the architecture like inside for people who, who will maybe never set foot in there and, and, and wonder what it's like inside the actual structure itself? Yeah, it's very, again, it's extremely traditional. There's a staircase as you come in with a grand hall, and it goes all the way to the back. And then there's rooms off the sides, and upstairs, the same thing. It's very, very traditional. The only, I never did go up into the top part, you know, the loft. But I've been on the first and second floor and all throughout. Very cool. One one of the neat things, and speaking of tradition and traditions around the tournament, is the annual Champions Dinner, which takes place in the clubhouse the Tuesday night uh, before the Masters. So it's just happened as our audience is listening right now. And and one of the big stories in golf, Linda, I don't know, did you get a a chance to see Scotty Scheffler's uh, Champions Dinner menu that he's rolled out for this year? (laughs) Yeah, I did. I saw that. What what was your highlight? Did you see what, what was your favorite part of the menu? Oh gosh! Um, he had the sliders. He had firecracker shrimp, the cookie skillet, steak and fish. He went. He went for every side you could possibly imagine. It was. It was quite a portfolio of a Texas feast. Mostly, I like steak, so I'd have to say steak's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> well, what would you What would you put uh, for your Masters Champions dinner if you were If you were picking the menu, what would it be for everybody? Steak, <laughs> good old ribeyes. Can't beat them. Uh, maybe oysters, uh, steak, oysters, shrimp are always good. You know, I live in the low country here near Hilton Head. Me too, so yeah. Those are <clears throat> very traditional dishes around here. Yeah, can't go wrong with surf and turf for sure. I'm going to save an oysters question for later as well, too. Um, let's let's <laughs> let's keep talking about the, the venue itself, though. So so specifically, kind of walking out the clubhouse and then placing yourself on the top of the hill was something very unique that I got to do last year when I finally made my first visit to Augusta National. I was there for the practice rounds, and the thing that really struck me is the way uh, the property sets up. Now, for you uh, mm-hmm. as an artist, when you take a look at the top of the hill and the panorama from 10 to 18, the back nine, the first and second hole, how does that differ for you when, when you're um, painting a course with undulation versus a flatter course? Well, I think you just have to, I have to find certain aspects and lighting that really show off what I want you to see in other words if it's an elevation change then i have to pick the lighting that's really going to show that up the best i can and that's you know that's kind of difficult it takes a lot of time and a lot of time being there really and i used to go there every year practically to take photographs because it was different every year 
believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, you told some stories about some long days uh, mm-hmm. for overseas open championship venues, and I believe England or Ireland or Scotland. I'm curious, was there a hole or a moment at Augusta where you were, where you were waiting an inordinate amount of time for the perfect lighting? Always. <laughs> <laughs> but I would also go different times of the year. Like, for instance, um, I was doing, I wanted to do the 18th hole. And I actually took those pictures in December. And they had to get a 16-foot ladder for me to climb up on to get those pictures for that image. And I had four people holding that ladder because it was windy and cold. So that that was kind of memorable, you know, sitting up there. And this was at dawn. So that was a very memorable setup for getting the right photo reference for that painting. I did that painting in 1988. And I painted that similar scene a few years ago. I did um, looking up at the 18th from under that beautiful tree there, just a huge live oak that's just before the green. And uh, I just really wanted to do that tree for whatever reason. (laughs) So I was able to put that whole backdrop of the clubhouse and all the buildings with the 18th hole. So it was a different version of the 18th hole. But it it was really fun to do. And, you know, a lot of people thought, well, that's kind of an odd vantage point. But you can't believe how many people have told me you know, they hit their ball right there underneath that tree. <laughs> oh, that tree collects a lot of golf balls, even for the pros as well, too. And uh, that's one of the last vantages that we see when we're watching the tournament down the stretch. So it, it lives in a lot of people's yeah. brains. So I think it's special for that reason, too. Yeah, I, I, it was always special to me. I had a lot of different places that I really, I would visit the same places every year. And if I couldn't get what I wanted, I'd come at a different time of the year when the light is different and then paint it as though it was master's time. So if there were azaleas, you know, you put in the azaleas. But I did that on the sixth hole because I couldn't get a good lighting on that when I did the sixth hole. So again, I had to do that one in the winter time to get a different angle of the sun hitting that green. So there's there's just all kinds of little things you can do to get what you want. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fascinating to hear about the process because people out there might think of it as just you flying in for the day and completing the work and flying out and there being nothing else to it, but there's so much more that goes on in the process. And I appreciate you detailing it to, to us. The one thing I wanted to ask about, which I hadn't asked about before, is specifically creating color schemes. When everyone thinks about Augusta National and the Masters, I think the two shades that pop out most are maybe the yellow from the flags, which is so iconic and, and the way it shines so bright and obviously that that bright stringent dark green that just seeps oh. through every grain of grass on the course what, what what's the process like creating those colors for your paintings i'm sure they're constantly evolving but um do you have you know do you keep frame of references for like the best augusta greens you've used in the past oh, well kind of actually what happens i mean we're talking about a what a 30 38 year span here um mm. and I use a certain kind of green called viridian, and that green can change. It can change from different manufacturers, um, you know, different batches. So over the years, the palette has changed slightly. I still use the same viridian, but I have used different manufacturers accordingly and because I can't get that rich green without having the highest quality viridian I could find. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So there changed. Everything changes. Nothing stays the same. Unfortunately, I'd like it to, but it doesn't. Yeah, it's like everything feels like it stays the same to 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 our naked eye, but when you look at it through the perspective of years and years, it definitely does change a lot there. Again, it's hearttug.com, h a r t o u g h.com. Let's go through uh, Amen Corner in the most special part of the course right here. Uh, mm-hmm. For anyone who hasn't been there, you know, I took the walk down the 10th hole and, and when you get to the 11 and then you turn the corner to the right at, at White Dogwood, they call it 
Uh, what is it about that spot in the 11th hole, uh, turning down, looking towards the water that's so unique and makes it the start of maybe the most historic stretch of golf? Yeah, I think down there, when you get, when you start to descend down to that corner, it's, there's just a different feeling of, of I, I don't even know how to explain it, but it feels differently. It's like a stadium kind of. And especially, you know, during the Masters with all the crowds in the stands there, it's just amazing. But even when there's nobody there, which, you know, most of the time when I was taking pictures, there wasn't anybody there hardly. And uh, it, it just has a spacey feeling to it. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. But uh, so I've done so many pictures from every angle in that whole area of the course. And I've done a lot of variations of different holes. Like I painted the 13th hole six times <laughs> and the 12th hole four times, the 11th four times. So there's all kinds of different angles in the morning, afternoon, you know, lots of, I could keep painting those same areas forever, I think, with all the different angles I have. Yeah, it's just like the subtle way, you know, a golf course can change day to day. It's it's changing through your work as well, too. So a couple of things I wanted to ask about on, on 11, and I really don't even have the most intelligent way to pose the question to you, but I'm just wondering... How do you mirror the trees that hit on the reflection of the water on the pond on hole 11? That's well, in, in your work, I see I took note of that. And just, just mm -hmm. how is that done? What, what's your process like for that, that piece specifically mirroring the trees off the water? Uh, that is like, well, first of all, you have photo reference that helps, obviously. But you have to sort of think of it like, like uh, the plane of the water is looking back up at the scene, if that makes any sense. Mm, okay. Uh, like if you were in the water looking out and seeing the same scene. So it's, it's, it's a mirror image of what you're seeing, you know. I, I, that shows up the most, I think, on that painting I did in the 16th hole with the pond in front of it. Right. That's another right. great iconic water hazard in, on the course yeah. as well, too. And I remember thinking of it that way. It was like, you know, if I had any questions, I just sort of tried to look at it like I was looking out from the pond back, which is very weird, but nonetheless. <laughs> no, very cool. Thanks for explaining that. And then, and then the, the flower backdrops on 12 and 13 are kind of what everyone knows. That's the, the maybe the most popular landscape is seeing what's behind those greens. Uh, from your perspective, with 40 years of experience of the course, um, what, what's the evolution been like of the, the landscaping and the flowers throughout the years at Amen Corner specifically? Um, well, when I, when I first went there, there wasn't as much rough as there is now. They didn't have the second cut. It was pretty much not there, but it yep. adds interest to it. I like it. And when I was first there also, they were into all that striping, which I grew to not like, <laughs> you know, they would stripe everything. Right. And that just kind of drove me nuts, but they stopped doing that. I was very thankful for that. It's back to a very clean cut look. You're right. Yeah. It's very, very natural looking, even though it's otherworldly to start with, <laughs> but it gave it a more natural feeling. It wasn't so busy with all those cross cuts and all that kind of stuff. It just, you know, didn't help the scene at all. And um, yeah, they've made changes subtle changes but to them extremely important and it was always very important that I would do the most updated version of the painting I was doing at that time um you know certain trees were important you had to make sure you got those in and because I came at so many different times of all the years you know, the bloom would be different all the time. You wouldn't have everything blooming at once pretty much ever. I mean, that was rare. Yeah. So, but because I had been there so many years, you know, I had the bloom from everything and I could, if I wanted to, I could put it in. Uh, 
even though it wasn't in bloom when I was taking the pictures for that particular painting. Well, yeah, I mean, regardless uh, uh, of, of bloom or in bloom, they, they look fascinating in your work. And I love the way you depict the course um, for people who want to capture more of Augusta, you know, in their home or office. Um, what's the process look like for them uh, and, and where do they go and, and what's available in terms of paintings that are that are your work right now? Well, there's quite a lot of options for Augusta as well as U.S. Open and British Open and just all kinds of courses. But uh, for the Augusta, you just, you know, there's a, a whole section just on Augusta. So um, also during the tournament, we are going to be giving away a limited edition print of the 16th hole of Augusta if you guess the winner. So you have to sign up for the emails to get the guess the winner email. And then you just send in your pick and maybe you'll win the print. Yeah. And you know me, I love a good wager as well, too, for a major championship. And I appreciate very much the the Swilkin uh, bridge uh, work that I have hanging in my man cave right now. So, uh, Linda, it's always really cool to, to touch base with your work as well. I'm curious, at Augusta specifically, what, what's your favorite uh, back nine hole? <sighs> yeah, I always love the 13th hole so much, but... It's really hard. The 11th hole, that scene where you look across the 11th towards the 12th, that's another one that's just, I mean, it has everything in it. The 13th is just such, a, that's such an incredible backdrop. And I, I would, had the uh, privilege to do a very large painting of that, which hangs in the, the men's grill room in the clubhouse. And that painting was 78 inches wide. Wow. With a 10-inch frame. It covers the whole back of the bar. So that that was a lot of fun to do. <laughs> Very cool work. That's so neat to see where it still rests this day. Again, you got fans super excited now that we've walked everyone through Augusta National. What a beautiful course it's going to be on display this week. Uh, Linda Hartog, let's wrap with our 19th hole question, which you've already aced the last couple of times you've been on the show. So the edit I wanted to ask you about was oysters specifically. Are, are you strictly raw oysters or are you okay with grilled or, or steamed oysters? Oh, all of them. Are fine. I mean, this area we we did many oyster roasts where we roasted big piles of oysters over a fire. Uh, I like them steamed too, but I prefer the roasted, fire roasted or raw. You know, I love them that way too. Absolutely. This is, this is such the best area to get them because this water and the sounds and the around here are still pretty darn clean. So. That's nice. Well, my, my co-host is in Savannah, so I'm going to plan a low country trip soon and you'll have to get me the best suggestions, but, uh, love, love talking with you and connecting with you again, Linda Hartog, mm -hmm. landscape artist, award-winning, check out her Augusta work and everything else she has at hearttog.com. And, and thanks again for being part of the podcast, Linda. Well, thank you very much. And we're back. Always great to have Linda back on the podcast and hearing an artist's perspective on a golf course and the landscape. Because, you know, we just look at it and we go like, oh, I need to get the ball over the hill and over the bunker. And she's going to give us the beauty of it. Detail. Depth. You know, the, like the things that make Augusta shine. We talk about the, the flowers behind 12 and 13 and Amen Corner, just the, her favorite views. It's neat to hear her perspective and her relationship with the course. We've had other chats with Linda as well, too. So if you like that and you like hearing more about golf art, be sure to check out our archives and subscribe. If you already hadn't right now, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, and pretty much everywhere else you're listening to podcasts. Uh, just search for us at Course of Life. So thanks again for tuning in. And if, if you are enjoying uh, this content, or that interview be sure to subscribe right now as well let's talk baseball it's opening weekend how you feeling alex how are your socks doing absolutely horrible after <laughs> opening day but then then we swept the weekend we took two out of three from the o's and now all of a sudden everything's sunny side up right now so in the interim the the red Sox have the benefit of a crappy schedule to start off the season mm. so we're gonna get fake good 
and I, I could get annoying to start the season because it's going to be so fake good, but I'm going to make it feel so real that I'm just going to be breathing down your back here as you your Yankees work through all your injury problems right now. I, I am not aware of a lot of injury problems for the Yankees right now, but then again, we're only three games in, and I don't pay attention quite yet. But we are 2-1, and one, so, you know, Judge got a home run. Stanton got a home run, I think. We're hitting, yep. you know, it's Bronx Bombers. We're bombing it out there. It's happening. No, the one thing I can tell with the uh, the rules, I don't know what you see in the pitch clock and the new rules in effect, is that offense is definitely going to excel a lot more. These new rules seem to be working against the pitcher's ability to dominate and maintain kind of the pace and rhythm of their outing. And it's a, a very hitter-centric, so you're seeing a lot of teams put up a lot more runs. So if nothing else, it's going to lead to a lot more offense, and, and we're seeing that in the AL East just as a small sample size. Let's look ahead, Alex, to Thursday. And everyone out there is going like, what are you guys talking about? It's the Frozen Four. Yeah. This Thursday. It is the start of the Masters, but yes, it's also the four, Frozen it's the Four. the Frozen right, yeah. Four. We talk about the Frozen Four, which is the college ice hockey tournament, because our Quinnipiac Bobcats, the overall number two seed, are in it to win it. And if they win Thursday, we might be going on Saturday to the national championship game in Tampa. Non-committally, we might be going. Yeah. Yes. I, it's, um, yeah we're, we're, it's a good chance. I 75% chance or, or more, I think, that we're going to go. So Obviously, got to take care of business Thursday night against Michigan. The other semifinals, Minnesota against Boston University. It, every, all the experts seem to think it's an all, ten, all Big Ten final, but I know we have other plans. Uh, both times, the Bobcats have gotten to the Frozen Four in the last decade. They've won this semifinal and gotten to the final. So if nothing else, I, I like our vibes and chances Thursday night on that alone. So uh, yeah, we're I think we're on ESPN2 or news or something like that, but national TV for, for the Bobcats yeah. Thursday night. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I got my uh, Frozen Four t-shirt in the mail over the weekend, so I'm going to be sporting that on Thursday, most Mr. likely. Mr. Merch. I mean, look, it's it's uh, when you have an opportunity to get yourself a, a Final Four Frozen Four t-shirt for your school, especially when you go to a school like Quinnipiac, like, yeah, we're, we'll yeah. be on the Frozen Four again, but you know, we're not Alabama. We're not UCLA. We're not Duke. North the New England Patriots. <laughs> the New York Yankees. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, you got to take our wins as valuably yeah, as we can. Exactly. Every time. Exactly. And that's what we're doing. So uh, we'll we'll see whether next week we talk college hockey or whether we don't talk college hockey. That'll let you know what happened in the game. If Indeed. you're not paying attention. For now, though, that's uh, hashtag always end with food. Yes, our food segment to end every Course of Life podcast episode. And I just realized we're going to be covering four holidays right now yeah. in about the next five minutes here for Always End With Food, okay? So first off, I got to start by saying I got got on April Fool's yeah, by did. a food brand. Yeah, you did. I got got real hard. It was it was April Fool's morning. I was checking my emails as the reason. I was very ready to be pranked on Twitter or Instagram, so no one was going to get me there. But I got an email from Tiff Street. Shout out to Tiff Street's amazing, warm, fresh cookies here in Austin, Texas, and, and expanding soon to a city near you. They do everything great. And they put out an email saying they were coming out with canned cocktails. And there was just this disgusting gif of cookie crumbles falling out of like a canned cocktail. And I actually thought it was real for an hour or two until you replied back to the email. And, and you just like, you buried me so quickly in like five or six <laughs> words. And, and I was I was got on April Fool's officially. You know, I didn't even know when you sent it to me. I, I didn't think much of it because I didn't realize what the day was until a couple hours later. I was like, did he realize it was April Fool's? Is he sending this to me because he thinks it's an April Fool's joke? But when I reread your email, I was like, no, he thinks this is legit. Mm, I did so. very much so. Uh, holiday number two is Masters Week. Yes. Uh, quick food updates to the Augusta National Menu. Yeah. I don't know if you saw the two <laughs> new additions. Uh, first one, Mike, is a chicken salad sandwich on honey wheat bread. What are mm, your thoughts? That sounds pretty good. It's what two fifty yeah. probably so three bucks real pricey yeah. real pricey yeah. three dollars and then for two dollars nice little side dish you can get some southern cheese straws now I don't quite know what these are I haven't mm -hmm. seen a good photo of them yet this this week but I think they're those little like cheesy cracker kind of straw shaped crackers yeah. that are like spun a little bit bread, breadstick looking exactly you can get those $2 so, well. so they're a big thing down here in Georgia and I am going to, people that are paying attention to this and listening to this are going to be. 
uh, flabbergasted by what I say next. I've lived here now for what, like seven, eight years. I have yeah. never had a cheese straw. Oh, no. So if anyone's on the ground yeah. and they get the cheese straws, I'd love a review. He's at MWRINC. I'm at Course Life One on Twitter. I'd love to see what they look like as well, too. And um, I'll let you do the other two holidays. We got Easter and we got Passover well, on deck. Before we do that, I just have to bring up two because I know you missed it last year at, at Augusta when you went for that practice round. The peach ice cream sandwich is back. Oh, yeah. I did see that, too. Man, I did miss that. Yeah. So, man, I only got four or five hours at Augusta, but that is one of the few things I'm still thinking about yep. is missing the peach ice cream. There so hopefully everyone out there gets to enjoy it as well. That's right. Uh, like I said, yeah, this weekend, we will well, really this weekend, then this weekend, we have two more holidays. Passover starts on Wednesday evening, uh, and that means no bread, no leavened bread products at all for us Jews to okay. celebrate and actually do that. I'm a horrible Jew. I don't do that because have you ever tried to go like seven days without any Leaven bread product. It's impossible. Yeah, me. It's my January diet. It's brutal. It's horrible. Yeah, it's, not, it's just, I can't do it. I can't do it because I also work in a bakery. Uh, so, and then there's Easter this weekend as well. And that means uh, in the bakery, we're doing hot cross buns and we're doing that sort of thing. Ooh, so, so the question is if, if we're home this weekend and I'm cooking, because that's an if right now, depending on what happens yeah, Thursday is, evening. Yeah. Uh, the question is, am I going to do something a more Eastery food cooking or am I going to do a more Passover food cooking? I traditionally do Passover and I don't really know what an Easter dinner is because I, I don't celebrate Easter. So uh, Easter dinner is basically a Thanksgiving dinner, but switch the turkey for ham. Okay. I'm that's not a big, it. that's I'm, what yeah. Easter dinner is really when it all yeah. boils down to it. We kind of remix it, Mike. And so, then this so, Sunday, we've also got an Easter masters combo as well, too. So there's food holidays yeah. galore going on. It's right just now. a lot going on. That's the, that's the other problem is that like sun, Sunday is Sunday at Augusta. I can't be in it the is. kitchen cooking and watching Augusta. I can't do both at the same time here. Yeah, so. we're going in the morning. I'm doing ham sandwiches in the oven just like last year because that was a big hit here at home. Uh, we're making some queso. I think my dad says he wants to do deviled eggs. He's got some sort of obsession with deviled eggs, so he's bringing those over. Uh, but yeah, those are all things. We're going we're gonna to need those ready by midday because when those, when those final groups tee off, Mike, I, yeah. I'm gone for five yeah. hours. I mean, I mean Easter, Easter brunch is probably, that's a good, I'm, I'm all in on Easter brunch. I'm all in on brunch no matter what the occasion. So yeah. Definitely is an Easter brunch vibe kind of year. Everyone enjoy it out there. A fantastic food week and golf week to boot. Uh, again, from Mike, I'm Alex. Thanks for tuning into The Course of Life. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.